You're listening to a CFMS podcast. And certainly I saw that with my mentors is uh, the ones that were successful in research. If they got no as an answer, they just pushed through that until it was a yes as an answer. So I think that uh, perseverance is probably one of the uh, biggest drivers in successful research. Welcome to the Research in Medicine podcast series. Hello and welcome to the CFMS Research in Medicine podcast series. My name is Egan Peters, the National Officer of Research Senior. Today we are interviewing Dr. Jarrett Woodmass. Dr. Woodmass is an orthopedic surgeon in Winnipeg and an assistant professor in the Department of Surgery for the University of Manitoba, Max Rady College of Medicine. Dr. Woodmass completed his medical school at the University of Manitoba, followed by residency in orthopedic surgery at the University of Calgary. He then completed fellowships at the Mayo Clinic and the Harvard Orthopedics Program. Dr. Woodmass currently practices out of the Panama Clinic in Winnipeg, where he treats complex knee and shoulder pathologies. Here, he is also active in the Asper Research Center, conducting a variety of studies on the improvement of surgical techniques and outcomes. Dr. Woodmass has published extensively on shoulder and knee reconstruction. His research also covers topics such as grafting techniques, post-operative outcomes, and the epidemiology of orthopedic pathologies. Dr. Woodmass, welcome to the CFMS Research and Medicine podcast. Hi, Egan. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to commend you on the initiative that you guys are taking here. And uh, your focus on research. So that's great. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thanks for speaking with me today. Um, so Dr. Woodmass, how did you first get into research in medicine? So for me, I got involved early when I was in medical school, and it, it started out as just an opportunity to uh, push forward and sort of differentiate yourself from other people. But as you get into different projects, you realize how much this can make a significant impact on patient care and it really starts to, to drive the agenda. And uh, that was sort of how it started for me. It was uh, sort of you know an idea to get ahead in uh, education, but it really has a, a spin-off and becomes uh, you know quite an enjoyable uh, thing to be part of. So what did the, the first sort of research that you conducted look like? And is it anything like the research you conduct today? So the first project that I got involved in was with uh, Dr. Eric Boehm. He was a, uh, or he is a orthopedic uh, researcher here in Winnipeg. And we were doing a project looking at the return to work for uh, patients after hip and knee arthroplasty. So I basically spent hours upon hours in an office uh, printing out different uh, questionnaires that I then folded up and put into envelopes and mailed out to people. and and tried to get uh, in contact with them and then populating that database. But uh, we actually found some very interesting uh, findings when we were, were looking at that and optimizing patients' return to work. So it was, uh, it was quite enjoyable. So um, when you went from residency, uh, medical school to residency, did you sort of uh, continue that research output or did you have to put it on hold for a while? So when I was in residency, it's obviously very busy. Uh, some weeks you can be in the, the hospital close to 100 hours. So there certainly uh, is difficulty performing research uh, as a resident, but uh, finding the ability to carve out time to uh, work on specific projects, I think is important for anybody going through a residency program. Um, but for, for me, it was always trying to find at least 
uh, a few hours, uh, a few times per week to, to work on different projects. How did your research interest sort of change, like from your very first project with Dr. Bohm to the end of medical school to residency and beyond? So as I advanced through orthopedic surgery, I developed an interest in sports and shoulder. And so as you get a clinical interest, the research sort of follows those things. So I definitely noticed that the projects uh, became uh, sports, uh, knee and shoulder related. Um, and then as I advanced into uh, the research world more and more, then you get interested in the project design of the research and start looking at prospective trials and randomized control trials, which obviously take a lot more time uh, to set up, but uh, can have a significantly higher impact long term. So that's sort of the transition that I noticed throughout my residency is, is the further they went along, started looking at uh, designing projects rather than working on projects on, on the back end where you're writing them up or someone else had designed them. So a lot of like our, um, our interviewees on the show uh, mentioned how their mentors were significant forces in their sort of research trajectory. Do you find that you can also refer back to a few key mentors um, uh, as you progress as a researcher? Or was it a lot of sort of a self-driven enterprise for you? No, I think anybody who has an interest in research uh, getting involved with good mentors is hugely important. And for myself personally, there's, uh, you know, I can credit anything that, that I've done to those initial mentors. Um, for me, uh, Dr. Ian Lowe, when I was in Calgary, was a, a big mentor for me, and he's a shoulder surgeon there. And then when I went on to my fellowships, Dr. Aaron Critch at uh, Mayo Clinic, and uh, then at Harvard with uh, Dr. Warner. And you meet these people who uh, they have these fascinating ideas. And the great part about uh, some of these research mentors is rather than them just being far off ideas that never take place, is that they always are driving to actually make those things happen, uh, put those projects together, and then take them through to completion. So I think uh, having those people involved in your career and trying to meet those people early is very important. Can you, uh, has there ever been like a, um, an example of when, of like one lesson or one sort of uh, key thing about research that you learned from a mentor that you still carry with you today? You know, I can't come up with a specific example right now, but I think that uh, just in line with that, carrying things uh, to completion, research can often be uh, very difficult and you'll, even within a single project, you'll have multiple uh, barriers, whether it's uh, trying to get things through your ethics program, or if it's trying to get funding for a specific project, or, you know, writing up the proper protocol, then getting it presented at a, at a meeting, and then taking it to publication. And I think the successful researchers are people who are able to sort of push through each of those uh, barriers along the way. And certainly I saw that with my mentors is uh, the ones that were successful in research. If they got no as an answer, they just pushed through that until it was a yes as an answer. So I think that uh, perseverance is probably one of the uh, biggest drivers in successful research. Do you find that even today, um, being able to finish a project is the, the biggest barrier to uh, conducting research or are there other sort of challenges that you've had to learn to overcome along the way? I think that's one of the, the big barriers. And I think that's uh, 
hugely important, especially at uh, a medical student and resident level, is that if you get involved in a project, it's really important to take on ownership of whatever segment of the project you have, because no project actually goes through from a, from a single person. There's usually at least six, eight, or many more people involved in a project. And if each person doesn't carry their weight, then they can immediately become an anchor on a project and it, it all, all of a sudden slows to a halt or it can be quite difficult. And that can actually you know, define someone in their early career as well if you're not able to, to push that through. So I think that's one of the, the key things, especially uh, at a medical student or resident level is to, to have that perseverance or at least recognize your role in the project and, and push that through. But sort of to comment on that further, um, every project has a huge team of people involved and you also you know sometimes need to lean on your other team members or help them out as you're pushing a project forward so i guess on that line um how did you end up working where you are on the you know big research team at the Penham clinic in winnipeg yeah, we, I'm very lucky here uh, in Winnipeg, and uh, Pan Am is uh, an internationally recognized uh, research center for shoulder and uh, knee. And um, for myself, I went away to do my fellowships, and Dr. Peter McDonald was a mentor for me and always uh, had kept in touch as uh, I was away in different institutions. And so we always kept in touch and um, looked at the different um, projects that were being published at. Um, sorry, products that were being published here at Pan Am Clinic. And they've won three of the major research awards for sports and shoulder. And so I feel very um, um, privileged uh, for the opportunity to come back here. So it's, uh, it's actually worked out great for me. What are some of the big research projects you're working on right now? So we have a few projects ongoing right now. One of our big projects is to do with anterior cruciate ligament. Uh, so for patients who have a tear, there's different graphs that you can use. So you can use the quadriceps graft, or you can use a bone patellar bone graft or a hamstring graft. And so we're actually comparing uh, the three different graphs to see if there's any change in outcome, uh, the amount of re-tears that uh, we see, or any complications. So that's probably our biggest uh, knee study. And then uh, for shoulder, uh, we had just completed a project looking at the rate of instability for patients with shoulder dislocations um, and looking at bank heart, which is the seatbelt in the front of the shoulder, uh, combined with another procedure where you do a tenodesis in the back. So we have multiple uh, different projects ongoing uh, for shoulder and knee, but those would be our, the two big ones. Why those two big ones in particular, I guess, um... What were your research questions and what sort of uh, drove you to them? Yeah, so for the ACL, uh, there's a lot of uh, research being performed around the world looking at the different graphs. And the hamstring graft and the uh, bone patellar bone graft have been used for quite some time, but the quadricep graft is a, a new graph. And so we're trying to compare whether you get equal or better outcomes. And certainly if we were able to show that, this affects many, many people worldwide every year. And if you can ever decrease your re-rupture rates or improve patients' return to function, then that ends up being um, hugely important worldwide. So that's, uh, that's a big driver for that project. Now looking forward over to the next year, the next five years, where do you see the trajectory of your research going? 
So there's a few different uh, things. We actually, uh, two interesting projects that we have uh, ongoing right now. One is with a shoulder replacement and we're looking at uh, repairing or not repairing one of the uh, tendons in the front of the shoulder. Um, but sort of a bigger driver that we have here at Pan Am Clinic is we're looking at doing a detailed registry research. So uh, for the last two years, every patient who comes into the clinic gets preoperative uh, scores, standardized scores evaluated. We collect all of our intraoperative data, and then we collect information at three weeks, three months, six months, 12 months, and 24 months postoperatively. So this is being housed in our um, on-site registry. So we can look at any different procedure and the outcomes from those. And so these patient reported outcome measures are becoming very important, not only for improving patient care, but also for looking at um, how different procedures are funded, making sure you're doing things efficiently, looking at it from a, a government or program standpoint. And then we're trying to link that information into the Manitoba Center for Health Policy. So there we're able to look at other factors such as socioeconomic status, gender, race, and other factors to see if there's identifiable things within our communities that we can try to address to improve the outcomes on a larger scale than just small uh, studies here at the clinic. Do you think that some of those things that you measure or uh, some of the PROs that you use could be used to prognosticate your patients preoperatively? Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to determine. So you really can't answer any question unless you have the data to look back. And that's what we're trying to do right now is we're setting up a system so that we have detailed information on every case that we do. The last thing we want to do is make the same mistake over and over again for 50 years throughout your career. So, you know, we want to, you know, set things uh, in motion so that at any point in time, if you think or you have one bad outcome, that you can immediately go back and look to see if that's just a one-off or if there's actually a trend for those specific circumstances that you can identify and then make a major change moving forward. So uh, I, this might be a little premature, but do you have any hypotheses with what that data is going to show? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be multiple factors that we're going to uh, be able to look at. Um, certainly from that larger base stuff, we suspect that lower socioeconomic status is going to have an influence on both patients' access to care, as well as uh, the time to treatment and potentially even the care that they receive. So we're very interested to see those results. Certainly in a Canadian healthcare system where everybody is supposed to have equal access to care, we should not see those differences. But, you know, I think we, we all see these different factors play a role in some degree in the clinic. And we wanna be able to at least have the data to identify if this is in fact true. And if it is, then we have to start looking at ways to, to mitigate that, to get around it. and make sure that everybody has equal access to care. So I guess now we've gone through the research you did, you know, from medical school and now the research that you're going to do over the next couple of years. Um, do you have like a, would you have done everything, anything differently or is there anything you wish you had known when you first started your research career that you do know now? Well, I think one of the biggest things is the, the individual like coursework and uh, the use of statistics. 
I personally don't have a master's. And so a lot of the research that I have done over the years and looking at project design has sort of been uh, looking back and then always going and trying to evaluate how the projects were done and how it is uh, best done moving forward. So, I mean, uh, for myself, I would say that having a, a master's and uh, a higher level of statistical analysis ability or, pay, or sorry, um, researchers with PhDs, I think is super valuable. I think if anybody is really interested in uh, having a career in research, that, that would be very worth pursuing. Um, and then it depends on how much research plays a role into your practice. So for myself, I'm actually a 100% re or sorry, 100% uh, in clinic clinician. And then the research is done on the side where we have uh, idea generation and we have a team of people who have PhDs that are able to look at this stuff um, after we've done the, you know, the idea development. So, you know, I'm in a bit of a unique position where I have help to do those things, but if you're going to be doing it on your own, you certainly would have to have um, more of a background uh, to be able to, to do that. It's interesting that you bring that up because, yeah, a lot of the people we interview uh, have an advanced degree or they don't like, yeah, they, a lot of them do have an advanced degree and um, rarely do we ever talk about, you know, um, why someone did or did not elect to uh, obtain one. In your circumstance, what was your motivation to not get an advanced degree or just to proceed to um, the fellowships and then working at Pan Am? Yeah, I think there's a few different factors that go into that. I think the first is that when I was going through, uh, when I initially got interested in research, um, it was, I was just looking at individual projects and I wasn't looking at it from like a master's or a PhD standpoint. And then it just sort of caught my interest and it just sort of built and built and built and built from there. So each place I went, I got a little bit more involved and a little bit more involved, but I hadn't actually planned to be a clinician researcher from the start. The second thing is that as things advanced and I did not have that degree, it becomes, uh, or it, it feels as though it becomes a little bit more difficult to then take time off to go back. And I think that now that I'm in a full clinical practice as an orthopedic surgeon to take two years off to go and do a master's is actually is quite difficult. And so uh, you end up doing a lot of after hours and evening work to try to make up for, you know, that deficit. But again, uh, I have to go back and comment on how important it is to surround yourself with a good team of people, because I certainly have people around me that make up uh, for the deficits that I have in uh, not having that advanced degree. So by no means did not having advanced degree preclude you from doing research? No, absolutely not. I think that anybody interested in doing research can do so. And, you know, having just good idea generation can make a, a huge impact, but you have to surround yourself with the, with the right people that can make some of those decisions because you know, especially early on in project design, if it's not, if the project isn't designed properly, you run into huge problems the further and further you go down the road. And the last thing you want to do is have something where you have 10 people who have put in a thousand hours and then it goes nowhere because there's a critical flaw in the design. And so I think that's, that's hugely important to have the people in place to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
so I guess going off of that, when you construct your research team or when you're constructing a project anew, what do you look for in your teammates? So I think it's it's actually very similar to when uh, when you're younger and you're trying to you know pick a team on the on the playground. You know you need high skilled people, you need reliable uh, people. You got to fill in the different uh, members of your team, um, but. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing is people who are motivated. Everybody's on the same page and everybody's working together. Research is not one of those things that you can do as an individual where you're trying to um, you know, prove that you're better than someone else on your team. You really need all people doing their individual jobs to push the project forward or it will fail immediately. So, um, for the medical students listening to this podcast right now, if you could impart, you know, one word of wisdom or a, f a few thoughts to them, what would you want them to know if they were going to take anything away from this? So I think one of the biggest things is uh, that if you enjoy research, that you should try to make it part of uh, your clinical practice or, or as a medical student, get involved in different projects and see how much you want that to be. Uh, part of your future because there's a place for it for everyone. And even if you're not one of the people designing projects uh, and running uh, the projects, learning how research is done can also help you immensely with understanding the different papers that come out throughout your career. And so um, I think one of the, the biggest uh, take home messages would just be to, to get involved and um, try to learn as much as you can. I guess um, if, if there was anybody listening to this who was hesitant about research or was sort of on the fence, um, would you still encourage them to take that leap to just dip their toe in the water? I would for sure. I think that, you know, research is incredibly rewarding. I think if you're at that level and you're trying to decide uh, whether or not to get involved or where to get involved, you know, the first next step would be to find a good mentor. And that doesn't have to be someone that is intimidating or difficult to talk to or many years ahead of you, that may actually be finding someone who's one year ahead of you in your medical school class and asking them what they have done or two years ahead of you or a resident in a program that you're interested in. And they can help you sort of navigate that path to find a person that sort of fits with your personality because that often is one of the, the biggest keys is finding someone that you see yourself uh, in similar shoes in X number of years. And so getting aligned with a person like that, I think can make a huge difference. And then they can sort of sneak you in the back door to look at some of these things before you're too committed. And then you're into a project that you maybe didn't want to be in. And, and then all of a sudden you're not pulling your weight. So I think just finding a, a, a slow way in often can be uh, more effective than, than diving right in. Well, I think we'll have to leave things there for today, but any final words for our listeners out there? Well, th well thank you so much for having me. I think the biggest thing, uh, I just want to, again, commend you on this initiative. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think research is such an important part of what we do to make sure that we're always making uh, things better for our patients, uh, more efficient in our clinics, and uh, also better for funding for our government. So uh, I commend you on everything that you guys are doing here. And certainly if anybody has any uh, questions or want to reach out, uh, you have my contact information. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Winmas. And thanks for taking the time to chat with me and giving med students across Canada about, you know, what it's like to be an academic orthopedic surgeon. 
And we wish you all the best in the future. Great. Thank you so much. I wish you the best as well. <laughs> Take care. You too. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for listening.